Welcome to How Did You Manage That? A podcast where we talk to music managers about their journeys, the highs, the lows, and everything in between. I'm Ali McRae. And I'm Sophie Pallock. And every episode of the podcast, we are going to be speaking to managers, some of them who have reached the dizzying heights of music management and had amazing, immense success. And we're also going to meet some of the young, innovative, hungry managers who are writing the stories as we speak. First off, I think it's safe to say, Ali, that we want to say thank you to everybody that's listened, shared and posted about our first episode with Jamie Oborn. The response has been absolutely amazing. We are so glad that you liked it all. Um, we can't wait for you to hear the other awesome episodes that we have coming up on the series. A man, a manager in his prime is what I kept saying throughout it. And that definitely translated, thankfully, to a lot of other managers who got in touch with us and said, man, this just reflected so many anxieties that I have. So I guess after this superstar wisdom, we're going to call it, from Jamie Oborn last week, we wanted to bring you a completely different perspective this episode with one of those young, hungry managers who are at the start of their journey, still achieving things at arguably the toughest stages of being a manager. You might have noticed, if you were listening really carefully to last week's episode, that Sophie mentioned a young manager she'd spoken to who was putting all her emphasis on getting her artist out on the road before even signing a record deal. And that is the interview you're going to hear this week. So this episode, we're introducing the amazing Charlie Murdoch of Highfield Management. Highfield Management is her own management company. She started in 2014. She manages an amazing artist called Jordan McCamper, who is an incredible talent and goes through our amazing sponsors, AWOL. Right, so shall we get into it, Ali? Yep, we should do it. But uh, you're kind of missing my beautiful, dulcet Scottish tones this episode. Sorry. Yes, that's true. Ali was actually in Scotland recording a TV series, so I grabbed Charlie for a coffee and a chat in the Colbert offices, and here's what she had to say. I'm with Charlie Murdoch today, who is a music manager. Obviously, we're doing a music manager's podcast, so it'd be slightly weird if, if you weren't a music manager. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and who you look after? Yeah, so uh, my name is Charlie. I manage. I run a company called Highfield Music, um, which started, I guess, around 2014. Um, and my first artist was a guy called Jordan McCamper. Um, and then following that, I took on a couple of producers, uh, Brendan Davies, a guy, Matt Ingram, um, and another fellow called Eric Apapuli and then finally one more artist for uh called Million Miles um so it's a nice kind of range it goes from sort of more you know indie soul to kind of folky soul stuff then my producers do everything from kind of indie rock bands to rappers and R&B jack of all trades jack of all trades master of none that's not the right term <laughs> yeah. <is it? laughs> yeah yeah uh, somebody actually told me the other day I'm gonna have to probably re-record this bit but there's something the actual phrase is something like jack of all trades master of none and then there's actually a bit that comes after that which is along the lines of jack of all trades master of none but oftentimes better than a master of one oh so that's the phrase oh my god so i always think that's really sad they leave that off yeah. because at the end of the day being a jack of all trades is as you know as a music manager and as we will get into is is the ultimate skill a music manager has to have. Yeah. So I think that's that quite might amazing. be my new uh, byline on my 
I website. Might get, might get my mum to cross stitch it and put it on my <laughs> put it somewhere. She loves Have a little pillow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be like, see what it means. But um, but yeah. So like I said, thank you for being on the podcast today and agreeing to chat to us. Um, it seems like you've got lots of really interesting clients, and you work across everything from artists to producers to writers to running your own sort of showcase club night as well um can I ask a little bit about how you got into that sort of side of music in the first place I'm one of those very annoying people who never really planned to work in music I um I studied English literature and creative writing at uni um which you know doesn't stand you in good stead for almost anything but uh I had a very nice time and it meant also that I was in London and I was in the center of London um, and I was at gigs all the time and then I ended up then doing the very normal route of interning so I interned at a management company first um, during my second kind of summer of university music management um, and then following that I went and interned at a label um, a little indie label um, and then really following that I just for me I really loved the label and I really loved particularly the ethos of that label um but I realised my strengths were a lot more in standing up for the artist. It's an interesting dynamic that a label and a manager have to have. And for me, I'm a lot better of kind of I'm I am a lot better at kind of um you know, as much as it is kind of fighting the power on behalf of my artist and getting what they want through. Um, Where do you think that comes from do you know why you think that you're more for your artist than for the uh the big corporation that is a label or the little indie corporation that is a label um i i think it's personality wise i like i also think i wouldn't be very good at a label as much as uh you know i think there's a lot of people at labels who necessarily wouldn't be good at manage being managers um yeah it's literally personality wise i think like i'm a I have a girl who grew up playing football my whole life so I think it's like I've grew up being told you probably shouldn't be doing that and I'm like well actually thank you very much I'll uh you know I'll take on the challenges I think it's um maybe just stubbornness well if you like to push men around that's the perfect yeah, industry yeah, exactly. to tell to tell men what they can <laughs> exactly just sure Se- there's a lot of them here so we all go. secretly that's all it's about yeah, it's just it uh, it's just a power trip um but yeah i think that's for me it was um you know i, I don't have that kind of mentality of labels kind of being the bad guys in the industry i don't i particularly now i don't think it is like that and i think there's a lot of amazing labels out there who want to help the artists but for me, on the management side, it's having that one-on-one relationship with them. And for me, it's always been my relationship with my artist is ignore everything that's going on. It's just us two. And we'll work through this together. Um, and for me, that's, that's, I think, what I'm best at in this industry. Well, that's a lovely way of looking at it. It's like the, just the two of us. Just, just the two, two of us. us. Yeah, the nothing. music comes over the top. Exactly. Turns into a very good Hollywood film. What was the um, the first person group thing that you managed? Uh, so my first guy was a guy called Jordan McCamper, who... Um, who you're still with today. Who I'm still so with today. Good yeah. <laughs> with yeah. Yeah. Um, so Jordan and I have quite a, a funny, odd backstory because we both went to a kind of school kind of 
we both went to school in Coventry. We went to exactly the same secondary school and he's a year younger than me uh, but never knew each other. He says he was aware of me, but I think he says that just to like make me feel bad about not knowing <laughs> him. Um, so yeah, so I left and went to uni and so did he. And then we ended up at Redden Festival with the same group of people uh, in 2014. And met and, you know, I'd already been doing bits and pieces of music and he was he was in his second year maybe of uni doing music, um, popular music, and uh, he started singing and I was just like, yeah, that, that's, you're great. Did um, you, I always think it's quite interesting when, it, when I speak to managers, whether they had to actively, I mean, you said you knew him anyway, obviously, sort of through mutual friends yeah. and the school connection, but when you obviously saw him sing and you thought, right I can do something or I'd love to do something with this or help him was it an active courting of him and trying to get convince him to let you manage it or was it something that came very natural and you were working together and you sort of just were like well I suppose I'm your manager Mm. now I think that's quite interesting sort of way to know how you did that so for me it's always been natural um everyone I managed I had some form of relationship with beforehand um whether it's you know um so Matt Ingram I met because I was touring with an artist and he was touring with her as well and then just over the kind of year that we were together he was very much you know I think you're very good maybe you could manage me but I knew him a year before that happened Brenda Davies was the same it was just kind of he was working on Dagny's stuff at that time and I was kind of within that world and her manager's an old friend so it for me it's always been these long-term relationships that have then turned into management Jordan was an interesting one because and again it's me you know fighting for the rights um but he was being courted by a management team who were just horrid and i can't even believe that that they still exist like trying to get the artist to pay them to manage them asking them to pay for gigs like just all of the horror stories you hear that's what was happening and they were trying to get him to like sign pieces of paper that he had no idea what he was signing. Even when I first saw them, I didn't know what I, you know, what it was. Um, and then it, and uh, you know, in the beginning, it was me just going, "This is not good for you. I don't want someone who's from where I'm from, or you know, who's got a bit of talent, and I don't want to see you get screwed over." It was, it was more just, you know, I'm going to be nice and I'm going to do what anyone would basically do and then from there it kind of snowballed into management and then it was well I'll start this company because I think for me I've got something different to other managers I was also you know very young at the time so it's very naive. Once you started managing Jordan and and the other acts that you work with um, what do you think some of the biggest challenges are when you when you start managing an act? Well, the the inter- well, it's across the board. I think what is always the challenge with management is there's no there's no ladder to climb. You know, the, no one goes. This is just how you do it. It's going okay. This is this artist. This is this is what they're good at. This is what they need to improve on. This is where they want to be in five years. Okay, well, how do we get there? And the interesting thing is there is there's no model 
and no one you can ask for as much advice as you want and people can tell you how a contract works or can tell you that this is how their artist did did it and made it big or made it to whatever level they made it to but it's not going to suit you or your artists i think everyone manages very differently and i think every artist is you know completely different so i think it's the it's learning that you it's learning that there's not one way to do it and i think when you're i was 22 when i started and you know you're brought up and you're told like you get a job and you work like this job and it's a nice five and then you know you you are set you're kind of taught how a life works and particularly I'm from the Midlands and same as Jordan and it's very much you know there is a there is a way that kind of life goes and then you get into a job where you've got no boss you're kind of working 20 hours a day for very little money in the beginning let's be honest like no one makes anything um and you're kind of running someone else's career it's a weird all of these things just amalgamate in your head and I think when I was 22 it's just like ah it's gonna be fine can we talk a little bit about and this is something that's sort of come up quite a lot on the podcast and, and I think we're trying to talk more openly about now maybe mm. as a management community is the money aspect yeah and the fact that when you start out you you know so many managers say when you start out I made no money for the first two three four five <laughs> years yeah. people are talking yeah. about um. and I just wanted to get an idea of how when you did start out how did you exist is not the word but how did you manage how did you you obviously lived in London you had to pay mm. rent you had to you know get to places support yourself actually want to sometimes buy things that you wanted to buy and do yeah. things you wanted to do how did you manage that when you're in music management and obviously it's not an easy money game when you first start no not at all I think um I I'm very lucky and I like will always uh say how very lucky and privileged I was when I first got into the industry is that I met people who were very good to me and um and I got I was able to uh angle myself into a way that I could earn money um because I worked at a different management company I knew I wasn't going to have the money to live particularly in London for the three years and I knew I wanted to build a roster um so for me in those early years well in that first year out of uni out of kind of doing my internships and being aware that management was what I wanted to do was I put myself in a position where um I was you know not only applying for management jobs at different companies but making sure I was in the same room as those people so uh Jimmy who uh, runs Frequency who I still work with today the reason I ended up meeting him is because I positioned myself in a room where I was going to meet him and it was a lot of talking to people and saying I need someone who is going to allow me the freedom to build a roster but I'll do a very good job for them as well and I got very lucky for me it didn't take very long I found Jimmy very early on and we've worked together since that is for me how I did it and it also meant then I had someone I could go to and talk to um, if anything came up that was you know out of the ordinary or I felt like we were getting taken advantage of because John and I were quite young um, 
I found that person. And I think that's quite important early on. So aside from the, the money aspect of, of having somebody who could help you financially, like salary wise, because you worked for them, did you also find it useful that you actually could work for somebody who's more experienced in the music industry so not only were you um, financially gaining that you could afford to live in London but you were also gaining experience seeing deals seeing things that were happening and and learning from that side yeah massively I think it is I'm a big believer because I didn't go to uni and I didn't like I didn't go to uni for music and I didn't learn about the contracts and everything that goes on you what you learn at uni uh, I had to I had to get to grips with that in six months. You know, people have three, four years. I had six months because then we were producing albums for major labels. And it was very much like, if you want to do this, you need to switch on. But it's a lot easier when it's a one-on-one conversation. And for me, I don't think I would be a manager at this point if I didn't have that relationship and that, I went into a smaller company where it was only three of us who were working those that handful of producers and songwriters. So it meant that I got one-on-one, you know, conversations with them and I got to take over and really run with that. Um, and then also build their roster, which then eventually has kind of amalgamated into a mix of all of us, really. So you've gone out on your own now. What do you think, or what have you experienced are some of the biggest challenges being on your own? Um, oh, there's so many. It's financially still another one. Um, it does. The only thing I will say, which is going out on your own and then you know being that full-on freelancer, is um, you you got to hustle. <laughs> you got to be out. It's like I think for me. Um, being within a structure and again this is just my personality I do kind of relate a lot to just how I am as a kind of general human being Um, but knowing that I've only got myself to rely on is a huge factor in what's currently driving me and I think that's like one of the early things in management is that freaks you out is that you spend all week on your own you go to meetings but you do that for an hour and then you go and sit in a coffee shop and it is mad. It's like, it's, it's one of those very, very strange things that really makes or breaks someone when you're looking at kind of going out on your own. It's a weird like transit lifestyle you end up living and then like, you know, and then there's just some weird stuff like you've got to be in Berlin in five hours because your artists like need you there and because the label are going to show up and they didn't tell you they were going to show up and then you, you've just got to fly to Berlin and as like, you know, as kind of glamorous and lovely as it sounds, that means I'm getting on a Ryanair flight. Uh, <laughs> and then when you've got to do that all on your own with a backpack and not really knowing where you're going to sleep that night or you're going to sleep in a van because the cheapest way then from Berlin is to travel with the band and then fly back from Amsterdam. It's like... Okay, and the idea of, well, who are you meant to talk to about that? For me now, moving forward, it's been a big point to go, well, let's find like-minded people and let's actually just band together. So I really like the MMF because I like the idea of the kind of the unionised idea of it. Um, 
yeah you know supporting the unions <laughs> another thing that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast and i know the mmf are championing a lot is mental health in music and two sections of it really how do you manage your mental health as a manager you said that you know you're on your own a lot but you obviously seem to have developed quite a good management community to talk to but obviously um there still can be moments, I imagine, when it can be quite tough and it can be a strain on you. Um, also, the other segment is the mental health of your artist. So knowing when to... I, I suppose it's really interesting because I think manager-artist relationships are the most sort of... There's nothing quite like it in the world. It's like you, depending on what your artist is like, you are parent, counsellor, therapist, tour manager, business manager, all these roles wrapped into one. How do you, I suppose the two questions are, how do you A, look after yourself first and make sure that you have time and know that, you know, maybe in the early days it was harder, but now do you, can you actually be like, right, I'm going to switch off my phone now or I'm going to put my phone down and, and not be bothered by yeah, these yeah. things? And also how do you look out for your artist and yeah. their mental health and make sure that they are not showing signs of struggling or anything that you think is detrimental to them being able to make the art that they make, so to speak? Yeah, Um I will say my phone is never turned off. <laughs> Plane journeys for me. Pipe dream. Lovely absolute pipe dream. dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when I know I'll make, I've made it. I can do a Saturday and just be like, oh, I can turn it off. Um, so for me, like, I have like really simple pleasures that I just don't, um, I won't give up. Like I, you know, I like Saturday sitting and watching the football or like those for me those are really little things that I'm just like I need to do that to keep my head in check it's like it's like real life I think it's a big part as well is just having friends outside of the industry um it's I find it really interesting meeting people who've been in the industry from very even you know younger than I was um you know people are starting out in internships now as early as kind of 18 and then that whole world ends up being music industry and music people. And that's fine because, you know, everyone kind of understands each other. But for me, being able to, like, go back to my parents and see people I went to school with who are teachers and realise, oh, it's like, you know, there's there's another world outside of this. You get sucked in very easily. Um and like having yeah, my my best friend complains about a child in her class. And I just I was like, I just, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> like that. But it's real life. And that that I I think is massively important is having a support network outside of music. Um and then it's also just keeping fit and healthy. That's like massively important. I got taught I got taught that very early on when um I toured for a little bit. The artist and her team were very much like you need to be staying in shape and just like eating well and drinking water it's like really super simple stuff which now I've tried to pass on to my particularly Jordan Jordan's the youngest out of everyone um that you just need to make sure you're looking after yourself from the artist's point of view I think it goes back to that idea of what I think is what I'm good at at management which is ignore everything it's just you and me and we'll focus on this. And I think that, you know, I'm not really sure how other people do it, but that way has always worked for me. And I think I'm I'm always quite upfront with my artists. So if something's not gone right or something's not gone as well as we wanted it to or we thought it would, it's 
it should be a conversation between you and your artist and it's not then you know it's not a blame game it's not saying well you didn't do this or you didn't do this or it's going well what happened let's talk about it and i think then you know the big conversation is well how do you feel about this like i now do these weekly like we call them data downloads in our like group which is um you know any new news this week um anything good that's happened on any of the streaming networks um videos you know all just bits and pieces that everyone needs to know and then at the end it just says um and how is everyone and basically that's the space where it's anyone going i've been quite ill this week sorry if i've like not been good on email or um you know whatever it is and then it might be i then get a personal email going i'm feeling really bad this week can we, you know, cancel these sessions? Can we do this? And then it will be me giving that person a call and saying, okay, so where are we at? And obviously depending on what's booked in and how important things are. And it's then that kind of playing that balancing game of there's things that kind of need to be done for this album to go, but I also know you're not feeling well, so let's work this out. I think that's, our relationships have always been very open conversations. And I think that's, for us, being the most important about keeping everyone on a level. What's really interesting, and obviously this is necessarily not time relevant when the podcast, this episode might come out, but yeah. what's actually I heard on the news today is that Kanye West is apparently trying to get out of his records oh. deal and publishing deal. And they've said that his, I'm not sure if it's his label deal, his publishing deal, have basically they have a, a piece of, legislation shall we say or whatever legislation is not the right word a piece of terminology in the contract the terms of the contract are that he's not allowed to take a hiatus at any point he's he has to constantly an extended hiatus he has to produce music and also he has to constantly produce music for the term of the contract but the contract is basically like 50 so he'll be dead so he's never allowed to retire so wow i literally thought to myself who let him sign who that contract? That? This is my... Mo- who let you... I don't understand who lets people sign these contracts. These people who don't read the contracts. You know, like, there's always those Hollywood stories of um, people signing up to films and then, you know, on the 200th page of a 1,000-page document, it goes, uh, and we are allowed to throw, like, apples at you on Tuesdays from 2 p.m. And people sign it because <laughs> they don't. And it's like it's always like a big joke and the ha-ha-ha. But you always think... Come on, guys. Like, someone sign it. There was a band. It's one of the old rock bands. And they used to put at the end... Um, I think it might be where, like, the Blue M&M story started. Mm. And there might have been something before them. But they said they put it at the end of the contracts and the rider because then they knew that they had read the whole thing. And they went... And then if they didn't give us Blue M&Ms, we knew they hadn't read everything. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I'm trying to convince a couple of my artists to put some crazy stuff on theirs. But they're all, like, really lovely and nice. And they're like, we won't do that because it's very annoying for people, Charlie. Like, guys, we should just put in, like, you know, silver jelly babies. (laughs) Could I find some poor interns spray-painting jelly babies? And all I keep going is, we'll at least know if they've read the rider. Very, very true. Um, yeah. So moving on to more the industry and the job now, um, you've obviously been managing Jordan's career for about yeah. four years now, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, 
what has happened in that time with you and Jordan? What's sort of been the journey and the successes and things that have have spurred you to keep going? That's not the right <laughs> thing, but to have, have, you know, what's the journey you've had with him so far, I suppose? Is yeah, well, it is, it is keep going. Like, it's... Um you get like little victories every now and again it's i'm a bit obsessed with little victories um and it's and that's kind of what's happened with jordan and it's been this it's been a long slog but we we've been making those steps every you know three to six months which to us have been huge achievements because we started off with just the two of us with no money like that first ep of jordan's was made for about 750 pounds and then put out and promoted by a team i think we maybe paid them a grand and i like put all that money up um and now it's got like i think it's on these 25 million streams now and it's insane like that's it that's that's like one of the things where you go Oh, it was let's say two grand to make that whole thing and get it out into the world, and now it's a bit of a juggernaut. Um, so with Jordan, we started off uh, with one single that somehow got into the hands of Julie Adenuga over at Beats One, and that for us was the starting place because then we had a supporter. Um, I think for us that was a really important thing we needed one person to back us and she did and that meant the world to us and that kind of for Jordan that was a huge thing he'd been a big fan of hers for so long um do you know how that single got to her uh one of her producers found it on SoundCloud so it wasn't we didn't even put it up on Spotify um I I kind of again and this is that idea of like you've just got to go with the flow my idea was that we build it we build that song on SoundCloud. We get it as this kind of little viral thing. And then we move it to Spotify. So then when it goes to Spotify, when it goes to Apple Music, it's an undeniable success and they have to, you know, start backing it. Um, but as soon as then it got picked up by Julie, all of that went away. And then we just got it on Spotify and Apple Music as soon as possible. Um because then it had a supporter and we had something to talk about. And then she ended up kind of premiering a lot of the tracks and Jordan's been in like three or four times to talk to her. Um, that was the beginning. And then it, yeah, it went to the set of first EP, which is now one of the tracks yours to keep has, I think close to 20 million streams. So that was 2016, 20, yeah, 2016. Um, and then Jordan's thing was, we just worked him live. Like Jordan likes being on the road. He likes touring. He likes playing live. And that's what we did. He has played every terrible venue in the whole of Britain, I can assure you, because I have put him in there. And he, it, he oh God, some terrible places. Um, and he's played to just the barman. But after two years of that, Jordan's amazing live. And I think the thing for us is we both really like going to gigs and we both really like live music. So what we wanted was for him to be the artist. So he worked live. He only got his band last year after he signed his record deal. It was, 
we wanted to make sure that when a band goes around him that he doesn't get lost in it. I think a lot of artists kind of get a band very quickly and then it looks like a band setup. Whereas we have always wanted Jordan to be the superstar. And it, when you see him live now, like the last show was at Omira and it was just a completely different like version of him. It was incredible. And it was, oh, you're like you're like the guy you hear on the radio now. Like it wasn't, you know, for me, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, you're not the lad I went to school with. You're the lad who has ended up on the radio. You're the lad who's ended up with an album that people listen to and go and buy. And it, and it was all these little victories along the way and it was making those steps and it was really working hard on the live circuit and just touring with anyone who would take him and playing you know tiny festivals in the north of wales but it also means jordan can sell you know 100 200 tickets in random places in the uk and people really appreciated seeing him the very north of scotland we went to do you find and i think this is quite an interesting thing is that a lot of bands a lot of acts are very london centric yes and they don't necessarily go outside of the m25 as you like to say yeah. but i think a lot of managers now um particularly in the case of maybe someone like tom walker is that it's so important i mean tom is from manchester and born in scotland anyway so he has connections up there but it's so important to tour and to hone your craft on the road and to pick up fans and to get out there because I think a lot of acts just think now, my opinion maybe, but I think a lot of acts seem to think now that streaming is the thing that will do it for them. And I think Jordan is a really good example of that, like you said, of somebody who it was touring that did it for him. It was touring that built those fans and therefore built those streams. Yeah, massively. I think um, it was, streaming's amazing and it is funny because you go into a label meeting and it's the first question anyone asks you. Um, you know, really, when we were doing Jordan's deal, it was as much as people were coming to see him live and as much as people were, like, you know, talking about press and him as an artist, it was a lot down to people looking at the facts and figures of he's streaming very well. But that, is, that doesn't translate into ticket sales. And there's an interesting... There's a missing link at the moment, which I think will get found out at some point someone will work it out one of the streaming platforms i'm sure will do it which is how do you convert streams from a playlist into actual fans someone who's like literally buying something and that at the moment is missing but because with jordan we did it the other way around and it was just completely about him being on the road and touring and playing live we know now we have a base um, we know that we've got something to build on so we're working into his debut album at the moment and we know at least when we go on tour he's not going to play into empty rooms but then has you know 35 million streams it's a very interesting um, you know juxtaposition I guess between streaming and live and who's working what for me it's always been important to work the live and then take that to streaming um yeah and i think it's also just because we're a bit old-fashioned and we like live music um you know the, when i look back it's 
literally being at gigs that are like my happiest memories. I'm I'm interested to think in like 20 years when a 14 year old looks back, are they going to think about streaming music from Spotify? I'm fascinated about this kind of um, yeah transit idea of how people are consuming music at the moment. Because I look back and think of like going to see a tiny band in a canal basin in Coventry, and that to me was the greatest moment ever. Um, and like catching a drumstick, I wonder now, and like go, and also like going to Woolworths and buying a CD. And I wonder in twenty years what's the attachment people are going to have. I, I'm not saying that's like a bit of good or bad thing. It's just an interesting question. So if we look at the industry now and the future of the music industry as a whole, yeah. bring us into this nice segue <laughs> of the industry. Um, what is it about the future of the industry that excites you? Or are there any trends or things that you think are coming? You mentioned, you touched on the fact that there, sh- there should maybe be a connection between streams and people physically buying tickets, interacting with the artist in that way. Is that something that you're quite interested in? Or yeah. are there other things in the industry you feel in the future you're quite excited about? So I'm very interested in that because I think that will crack open a lot. Like Spotify are doing bits and pieces, like Fans First is a really interesting one. Um, I think embedding the merch into the pages are really interesting. People are working on it. Pe- people who are far more intelligent than me at like apps and you know data stuff like, are doing a much better job of it than I am. Like all as much as we can control, we you know we can only control so much. So we do what we can with our. Um, resources but something interesting will happen there because it has to because otherwise we're going to kind of keep seeing venues be shut down and people not being able to afford to go to gigs because they're going to get so expensive because the artist needs to make the money that way um i am i i'm really excited about the music at the moment like i've no i don't think i've ever found so many good bands in like one session of like discovering new music um as of recent months i'm you know i'm really excited about women in music i think they're killing it at the moment like obsessed with boy genius i just think that kind of whole phoebe bridges lucy darkest world is just my is my obsession there's like there's really cool interesting music popping up from all over as well you know there's obviously a huge scene over in australia but I, i'm i'm listening to so much french music at the moment there's a band called genoir who i don't have a clue what they're saying but i'm obsessed with them and i think they're genius um and then you know like there's a band i want to call them the loom it's loom or something but they've got a song that's just synced on um russian doll you know the netflix show and again french band and they're just incredible and sing in French but it doesn't bother me and I think that I'm really excited about just because it's so easy to find that stuff now um that I'm really excited about and kind of more non-English speaking tracks I, I guess the queen of all of it is Christine and the Queens um so that I'm really excited um the DIY method just because that's how I've kind of brought my artists up um, I think it's great. I like the idea that managers can t- take control. I think there's an interesting shift in control 
uh, in the industry that's gone from labels to managers. Um, and we kind of do the very early development stage, which, you know, for me is great. I really enjoy that because that's, I like that. Uh, and then like I think collaboration's quite cool at the moment. I think a lot of like going back to the idea of finding your friends and finding your people within the industry is uh, you know is more acceptable now. It's not everyone's not competing. Everyone's kind of going maybe we should just all like each other and try and help each other out. Um, which really makes me happy because I'm a lot better at that than I am at kind of, you know, telling someone, yeah, well, we got this and I'm going to show off. And I'm like, oh, do you need, like, I need some help. Do you need some help? Yeah, like, it's just, it's just such a nicer industry to work in. Um, and yeah. And touching on that, what do you think that the music management community as a whole could be doing better? I I think it's offering young managers like the opportunity to see the different models. Um I had this thing the other day about uh, an activist saying that she she doesn't want to be called she doesn't want to be told that she inspires people. She goes I just live my life as a model that they can copy. But there are other models out there that you can also copy. I thought that was really interesting because I just thought there's so many different versions of management that people need to see. Um, like I don't function the same as any of the big management companies. I don't function the same as any of my friends. But then, you know, there might be someone who feels like they can manage in the same way as me and they just need to see it. You know, I think like stuff like this is important that people realise we're not all... No, we don't all manage the biggest bands in the world, but we're making it work. Um, for me, like a massively important thing is that managers all accept each other in the way that they function differently and celebrate each other for the way that they function differently, um, which is what the MMF are doing very well. And I think more things like the MMF would help. Um, so, you know... I was very fortunate this year to be accepted on the accelerator scheme, which was, you know, when we talk about financial, that's been hugely helpful. But it also means I met 22 other young managers who all have different models to me, all have very different artists and all function differently. But it's a group now of 23 managers, young managers, who are celebrating the ways that each of the work and are taking advice from each other. Um, I, yeah, we literally will sit around the table and go, this is our problem. And you have 22 heads to go, this is how I dealt with that. I got an email the other day from one of them when a musician, a session musician was kind of, you know, doing whatever they were doing. Two days before we had spoken about how I had dealt with that issue. And he messaged me and was like, I did exactly what you said. And it's, I've combated the issue within 10 minutes. You know, it's like, it's, I think this idea of community is very, very important in the management circles, which, you know, um, we're getting there. I think, it, you know, there's a long, long way to go and to kind of take this idea of competition and you know, backstabbing. I don't think we're in the 80s anymore. 
We're not in. What's that book? Uh, Kill all your friends. There you go. Slash American Psycho. It's slash. It. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the John Niven book. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not. It's not how it functions, and no one can. It's not feasible or like long term. Um, so you know, it's all just be a bit nice. Also, music's good. It's <laughs> <laughs> What a simple term. So just before we go, I've realised that we haven't touched on an amazing night that you run. Yeah. A female only club night, is that right? Or is it like a live music slash club night? So it is, uh, it's called Ginger and Spice. Um, and it is run by myself and my friend Phoebe Petridis, who uh, works over at So Far Sounds. Um, and it is female fronted bands or female solo artists and it is live music night we have we're now running out of hoxton square um and it is we normally have three or four bands artists on once a month and it's just really we got a bit bored of going to gigs and never seeing an all-female lineup that's literally what happened i think we were having dinner once and we were just complaining about it and Again, I, I have these many realizations every now and again, and I was like, "Oh, we're between the two of us in a really good place to actually do something about this." And I, you know, I'm one of those classic people who's like, "Well, if you want to make a change, you should be doing it yourself." I'm just saying, guys. And then we sat over dinner. I was like, "Sorry, mate, we need to do this. Hate like, something, change something." So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's a horrible corporate slogan from Honda. <laughs> But is I love it. It's from a Honda advert. Oh. I that hates something changed. I always remember it, but it <laughs> sticks with me as like a thing, which is if you hate something, then change it. Change it. Yeah. Well, that was it. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Us and Honda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was it. We're just in a very good position between the two of us. We're kind of like being to, you know, we go to most gigs every week between the two of us. We, you know, we know pretty much all female artists because they talk to us and particularly because there's not many female managers either i get a lot of female artists reaching out to just ask questions um and just to talk to someone who they feel comfortable talking to um so yeah so we started it last october um and it's been cool we've had like amazing people turn up like carmody came bride lila foy uh and then it's going to run through We'll take the summer off a little and then start up again in September, October next year. So we've still got three left this year and the lineups are looking very, very nice. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, Charlie. I feel more knowledgeable and a little bit ranty as well now. And I'll be like, you're right, this shouldn't happen, that shouldn't happen. I feel a bit like that. So there you go, episode two of How Did You Manage That? And that was the brilliant Charlie Murdoch of Highfield Management chatting to Sophie. And that was a really brilliant perspective so different from episode one with jamie but so much insight and i think a lot of realities of what it's like to be a young manager today in music and she's got a real passion and a love for her artists that you can hear she just she believes in jordan so much yeah definitely ali and i will tell you what i loved about that episode was how real it felt because one of the things i love that charlie talked about was this 
that I've personally struggled with because I, I sort of freelance and consult in this industry and move around and don't necessarily have a base was um, she talked about the, the sort of loneliness for want of a better word of you know it can be hard to keep yourself going when you're not in an office of your peers every day and you don't really have necessarily people to talk about your highs and your lows with every day so I really like the idea that she said that she was talking to other managers they had whatsapp groups they were trying to form a community and I think that's so so important because when you do start out it is it is a bit of a lonely road at first and, and until you sort of meet your people and get in your stride and have confidence in yourself you can it, it, it can be hard totally and it's not just someone to share the good news but also to share the bad news and reflect and stuff and you know in bigger organizations people take time to deconstruct campaigns and go off oh, what went wrong but if you're on your own there's a tendency to just go cool next but you need that network and it was so good to hear charlie emphasizing the importance of that for a business sense but also from the mental health aspect for a manager which we believe doesn't get spoken about enough and that's what we were trying to change with this podcast. It's also worth shouting out the MMF Accelerators Programme that Charlie is a part of and she talked about on the episode. It's an incredible new initiative to help new managers get the training and experience they need from really experienced music bodies, accountants, lawyers, lots of different things. So if you're interested in that or interested in just learning a bit more, go and check it out on the MMF website, which is the MMF.net. And we are incredibly lucky to be sponsored and supported by AWOL. AWOL is Cobalt's unique alternative to the traditional music label, empowering artists and independent labels to make, release and market the music that they love. So a massive thanks to them because without that help, we would not have the time to make this podcast. So yeah, guys, please don't forget to share, tweet. Our Twitter handle is at ManageThatPod. You can find us on all the good podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Google Podcasts. And just, yeah, tell a friend, tell a friend. That's what we always say. Uh, we will be back in another two weeks with another episode. Thank you for checking out Feed. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. And yeah, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. How Did You Manage That is brought to you by the MMF and sponsored by AWOL. The podcast is produced and hosted by Sophie Pallock and Ali McRae. Original music by Callum Wiseman.